If you're anything like our hosts, or me for that matter, playing with Legos was a foundational part of your childhood, and a big part of the reason you probably got interested in design. And given the arc of Lego's history, it's clear that they're a product-driven company. Their products are addictively engaging, highly engineered design masterpieces. They clearly understand the needs of their customers, and they're constantly evolving and innovating with their products to remain a highly profitable company. So you can imagine our excitement when Aaron and Eli had a chance to chat with Dan Winger, senior innovation designer at the Lego Future Lab. Together, they had a chance to dive into user testing at Lego, what the future of physical play looks like in the age of VR, and how story affects product development at Lego. So grab your favorite set of Legos, get comfortable, and thanks for listening. Hey, Dan. Uh, we've got Dan Winger here, senior concept designer at Lego Future Lab. Dan, so excited to have you on our show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eli. Absolutely. So, Dan... What exactly is Lego Future Lab? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Lego Future Lab is the front-end innovation team uh, where we look at uh, ways to stretch Lego products beyond our existing portfolio. And you know, since the re release of the, the iPad, many of our briefs have been focused on, uh, on the, the intersection of physical and digital play. So we've been spending a lot of time there, but... I guess actually just uh, a, f a few months ago, we actually had a reorg and we are now Creative Play Lab, where we're focused less on that intersection of physical and digital and just looking at new opportunities for the Lego group uh, broadly. It's kind of a, an, an incredibly dreamy job, right? To be at Lego, but also to be at the forefront of Lego and, and um, new ideas that, that are coming together out of Lego. Yeah, it's been fantastic. We we started off as a, another group as well. It was originally called Concept Lab when I started nine years ago, and but but every team it has been this innovation. It's kind of been the front end of the front end department. So so we are feeding the the innovation pipeline. Got it. So can you can you talk a bit about your background uh, and and how you found your way into this role? Um, I saw that you went to Iowa State. I'm a, an Iowa Hawkeye, so we're we're uh, arch enemies, I guess. But uh. oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Hawkeye country, so it's okay. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm curious uh, how you how you found your way into this role. Uh, yes, I studied architecture at Iowa State, and then moved out here to Pasadena uh, 11 years ago to go to grad school at Art Center. And I was in the graduate industrial design program. And while working on my thesis project, it was called uh, Create Toys. It was uh, a toy with a digital game uh, that interacted with a digital game to keep, teach kids music and to teach music more like an art class. So as I was developing that, one of my instructors introduced me to Martin Sanders, my current manager. So after I had graduated, I reached out to him and got some freelance work uh, initially and then just continued on and, you know, was hired onto the team. So I, I was only the, uh, I guess, when I started, there was only two of us. So, it's, you know, it's a tiny satellite office out here. So I, I got very lucky to, to find a, a path into Lego. So there are very, very few opportunities. And were you a big Lego fan as a kid? I mean, is this something you grew up playing with a lot? 
Not a lot. I mean, I hate to say, but I was just a, a casual Lego user. I remember we just had one red brick-shaped bucket full of uh, you know, various Lego bricks. I believe we got it at a garage sale. And I had three brothers, so the only way I really played with it was we'd build these you know, ugly little cars, and then we'd smash them into each other and you know, play, play in demolition derby and, you know, last one to fall apart would win. But that, that was <laughs> roughly the extent of my, my Lego experience as a kid. So, you know, I didn't even realize they had, uh, you know, sets, you know, the, you know, with instructions until, you know, shortly before I started working with Lego. Yeah. Dan, what does a, a typical day look like for you, if Lego, if there is a typical one, or you could say, what, what was it like yesterday? <laughs> if that's better. Yeah, it's definitely uh, varied over the years, but, you know, a a day usually uh, often starts with a 6 a.m. phone call to our headquarters in Billund. And from there, uh, you know, probably a one hour meeting and then move into kind of, uh, I guess, just project development. And in that, in that, that varies greatly depending on the type of project. It could be more of a, a digital experience, could be an app, a game, it could be a physical product. And in the past, I've done everything from like preschool store uh, toys to uh, developing stories and IPs to robotics, educational stuff. So the, the typical there's not exactly a typical day. So the, the software and design process changing changes on the, the phase of development and, you know, the, the, the project itself. Yeah. Maybe you could define, um, IPs for our listeners cause they might not be familiar. Oh yeah. IPs, uh, are, are new stories, uh, that we developed internally, uh, such as Ninjago and Chima have been some of our bigger IPs. So, so, yeah, so introducing new characters, new universes, you know, kind of defining the, the conflict and, you know, the, so, uh, yeah, so so kind of toy, toy-focused toy stories. The story is particularly interesting in the, in the evolution of Lego as a business. Um, you know, to, you're talking about the type of Lego play that you had as a kid that you didn't even know that there were kits. It was just like bricks that you put together. And that's kind of the, the early story, early versions of, of Lego. And I remember as a kid that I'd get like a spaceship kit for Christmas and I'd build that spaceship and then I'd build a hundred other spaceships, but they weren't necessarily characters. The, the story was still um, pretty much an open system that, that I could um, explore in lots of ways. And now, you know, I've got kids and uh, I'm building Lego kits still with uh with my kids and they're connected to very specific stories. Like it's uh, Lego star Wars and it's a particular ship from Lego star Wars. And it's the millennium Falcon from, you know, this particular movie. So like it's very specific um, to, to connect the, 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 the user to that story. Can you talk about how story shapes the work that you guys are doing and, and the choices that you make? Uh, yeah, I mean, th- that's a great point because uh, Lego Star Wars has definitely shifted how we develop products. So, you know, most of our products offer this role play experience. 
And with role play, you need to nail a story. Kids need to understand the the motivations of these characters. And it it gives them more levers to to often create their own stories or act out familiar stories. So as we, I guess, in terms of, I probably can't speak too much of how we develop the IPs themselves, but since, you know, there's other teams who really focus on creating these IPs and stories, but as an innovation team, we often want to look beyond role play and inject new types of play into our portfolio. So, but at the end of the day, you know, even if we have, you know, new innovative play, we'll often need to inject these layers of storm story or, or at very least themes on top of it to, to engage the users. So, yeah, well, in, in video games, there's this concept of an open system and a closed system that let's say the Sims would be an open system where there's play and you can go in lots of different directions. And then there's a closed system, which would be like Super Mario Brothers, where, you know, it's 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 on rails. It's very linear. Do you guys think about that, whether, you know, you're developing uh, a story uh, that's unique, like Ninjago or uh, you know, Star Wars, where that's that's more linear. Do you think about uh, the openness and how that that might be attractive on the market? Yeah, I mean, we we always want to inspire kids to you know be creative and tell tell their own stories. But you know, they they often need a starting point, especially for the younger kids. So. And we find the the types of stories that a five-year-old and a seven-year-old like are vastly different mm. because they, they have fewer frames of reference to the world around them. So, you know, giving them the frames of reference and then letting letting them go on and kind of create their their own is is a goal. And especially our team is Creative Play Lab. We're we're looking for new creative experiences with Lego and, you know, some may, you know, may be story focused. So, but at, at the end of the day, yeah, we're, we're a creative brand and we want to find any opportunity to, to engage kids with a creative experience. Yeah. Maybe you could take us back a little bit. And you said in your previous work, you were working on products that had a physical and, and digital integration and, and if you can, if you can talk about it, could, could you tell the story about how you prototype those products or maybe, you know, some of the tactics you used there? Yeah, uh, well, when we started on that, uh, on the integrated physical digital toys, it was just the two of us in L.A. and we had an industrial design background. So much of our development was, you know, through uh design sheets or mocking up UI and graphics where we didn't have the technical capabilities to build it out. But, you know, uh, a few years ago, we hired uh, a couple uh, engineers and they they'd actually they helped the process greatly where we are actually able to have functioning digital prototypes with physical material in, you know, in a matter of, you know, hours to days to weeks, depending on the, the, I guess, the, uh, the, the polish and, you know, how deep the experience was. So, you know, the, I guess in terms of, yeah, prototyping, a, a lot of it started, you know, it starts often started with the design sketch sheets, 
we paper prototype some uh, sometimes mock up UI and kind of even act out the the story to visuals on a screen to you know getting hands on uh, demos in the hands of kids is our ultimate goal because you know it, it's great to experience the uh, I guess the the product or experience itself. But it's even better when we can get it into the hands of our users and get feedback from them directly. Tell us more about that. That sounds so fun. You get to make things, uh, cool, fun, exciting, play things, and put them in the hands of kids and see what happens. What's what's that look like? Uh, it, it's great. And it, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we... On every project we do, we will never be the core users. So we need to understand their mindset, you know, because we have our own opinions, but, you know, we're not the market. So we test as often as possible and we try to test every couple weeks at the, the end of our sprint cycle. So, so we'll create a minimum viable product. You know, sometimes it's a matter of mocking up, you know, kind of UI for apps or building actual products with Lego bricks to, you know, uh, you know, games if we, as we've done in the past. So, so yeah, it, it often starts with, yeah, a, a minimum viable product, get, you know, initial insights and then, you know, take those insights and, you know, further development, refine the, the prototypes and the experience and yeah. And reloop. Earlier, you, you were talking about, uh, you know, sketching and, and coming up with ideas. Can you talk about the role of sketching in the, the, the studio? Like I know that you have a background, uh, you know, studying architecture. You, you probably draw all the time. Um, and you, or an illustrator as well. Is that, uh, are these typical skill sets within the team? Are, you know, are you drawing ideas a lot? Are other people drawing ideas? How does that get shared? No matter the project or the idea, you need to communicate it to someone. And that can be through sketches. It can be through videos, uh, you know, models. But in LA, we, we don't have the prototyping resources as they do in Denmark. So often we would, we would start everything with a, a concept sketch. But, but things have been changing recently and, you know, we've been trying to get more hands on with the, the communication of these. So we have kind of been moving away from sketching a bit more to, you know, doing rough and dirty prototypes and, often sending over videos of the concepts to, to communicate it real, real quickly and, and kind of effective. Uh, yeah, snappy and effective. So, yeah, we, we found that videos have been a great way to give updates of our, of our kind of uh, development because not everyone has the time to kind of read a PowerPoint deck. So just a, two minute, you can communicate a lot in a two minute video. So with your, with your prototypes, do you get a chance to get them in front of users and test them? Or do you do any other means of user testing? Uh, yeah, we, we try to do it at the end of every sprint, every 
two weeks to to get something in the hands of our users and that will influence the the next round of development you know sometimes it means you know pushing a project to the back burner and exploring something else but you know much of the time it means refinement and and even testing various ingredients of a bigger project so you know not every cycle are we testing the the totality of the experience but just different components and once we learn what factors work the best we'll integrate it back into the larger project and continue development. So, and another way we also work with kids is doing foundation studies. So we we did one last year where we brought a, a bunch of kids into a room and, you know, th- this was a formal session and just trying to, to get their uh, inputs on creativity and just broadly understand creativity. So it wasn't linked to specific project exactly just more of you know kind of kids mindsets and like what activities they they like doing and how how do they express their creativity and we've even done some in-home tests in the past where we we get to see you know you know kids how they play in their natural environment which is fantastic yeah i imagine there's not much more rewarding than getting your creation in front of the kids and see see how excited they are about it yeah, and we're prepping for our first in-home test on this uh, current project, which uh, in a month or two. So it, it'll be great to see, you know, the their input because there's only so much you can learn. A lot of these sessions are a half hour to ninety minute, and so we don't get the full experience. So, so when they have it in their home, it, it's a great indicator of you know how long they can play with this or, or maybe, you know, it's, it's cold at first, but they can get into it more or the opposite where, you know, it starts off real strong, but the, the play is not sustainable. So, so yeah, we can learn a lot more once we get these uh, into their hands and into their homes. Does, uh, does Lego do market research? How do you know which direction to go with a new product? Uh, yes, we do. We often work with our global insights team, so they will help uh, lead some of the research. You know, holistically, they give us a lot of uh, kind of macro trends and you know information, understanding you know play types of children, uh, you know, kind of lifestyle shifts. But they will also assist on uh, project development where they come in and will help run some of the the test you know the the larger tests and uh, and then kind of help us form insights and you know kind of help define where to take the project next but you know a, a lot of times we will do this research ourselves but you know in the at certain milestones we will pull them in more heavily to, to help facilitate because it's, it's great to have that unbiased uh, opinion as well, someone who's not on the project and has a kind of a more holistic view. So Dan, you you mentioned again that you um, used to work on these physical digital products, but you've moved away from that a little bit. But I'm curious, as as you look towards the future of product design and, and there's all these really immersive experiences for kids, like virtual reality, which I'm 
I'm totally scared about my kids getting exposed to. <laughs> but how do you how do you maintain a connection to physical play with with you know these these types of devices around? Yeah, I, I guess uh, to clarify the the reason why we've shifted from that the intersection of physical and digital is because uh, everybody in the industry is looking at everybody in the company is looking at. So we don't need our team to solely look at it. So it's definitely, you know, uh, it's definitely an important area. You know, digital play is, is exciting to kids. And so, but when, what we try to do is leverage the, the excitement and the capabilities of digital technologies and make those enhance the the bricks themselves. So we launched uh, Lego Fusion a couple years back and the it was a series of four games that came with uh, with various bricks. So one of the games was a, a city building simulation game. And so when you would unlock a new building, such as a pizzeria, you could then go back to your Lego bricks, design and build whatever, you know, shape pizzeria you want, then scan it with the, the tablet. And then that would be uh, uploaded into the your custom creation would be you know, integrated into the, the city. And so you can fully design your city down to, you know, what each building looks like. So, so there's ways where, you know, we can leverage the, the existing, uh, the digital technologies to make the physical bricks more exciting and get kids more engaged in a creative building experience, which, which is something we, we've often looked at. Do you have any stories? I think that, that loop between the physical product and the digital interaction is really interesting. Do you have any stories around how well that worked or any kind of challenges in implementing that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely tech challenges uh, to, to get the, the scanning capability right, you know, because kids will be using different devices. They'll have different lighting conditions. So there's definitely been challenges, you know, kind of pushing the limits of the technologies to, to achieve what we want. But yeah, the, we've, there's definitely been many experiences where, you know, we could get things functioning for prototypes, but to take it to market would, would be more challenging because we wouldn't have the controlled conditions to, to make it work as we would do in a kind of in our own setup. So Aaron, Aaron turned me on to this uh, Lego documentary, the Brickumentary, <laughs> which is pretty great. And there was um, there was a scene where they're talking to Larry Page, and he built an entire inkjet printer from Lego bricks. And then they mentioned how Google housed their first server in Lego. I'm curious, what's the most outlandish thing that you've ever seen built built out of Lego, or most creative thing? Yeah, I'm I'm often surprised to find you know. Uh, uh, a, a new, I find a new interesting Lego creation every month. It seems like if something exists, it will probably exist in Lego. So uh, a while back, I saw a, a full-size air-powered rideable car. Uh, and 
uh, James uh, May even built an entire livable house using Lego bricks. I think it's over 3 million pieces. Uh, but actually, one of the most exciting ones was actually created by uh, a former intern of ours in Future Lab, uh, uh, Carlos Torres. He, he made a prosthetic arm that integrated Lego bricks. And I just love it because it, it's very empowering for, you know, kids who would have this disability and it creates, it, it turns it into a benefit in many ways. So I think, I don't know if that's the most outlandish, but it's definitely the the project that I've loved the most. And that's really fantastic because uh, some of uh, student teams in the class I teach have been working on a project that's Ambit Prosthetics. And I think that's a really underserved area where there's a lot of creativity that could be at play there. So that's really, really neat to hear about. Um, there, there, also in that same documentary, it was uh, mentioned that Lego has been used to prototype arch- architectural creations. I think they prototyped the actual one of the Lego buildings in Denmark. And they also visualized a, a cityscape with traffic patterns and heat maps at MIT. Um, you mentioned already this uh, this prosthetic, which is really, really cool. But is there any other ways that you've seen Lego been used as a as a prototyping tool? Yeah, uh, yeah. Lego bricks are essentially a low resolution 3D printing tool. So you can create anything out of it. I mean, maybe doing like surface design of a car will be difficult, but uh, we were working with NASA JPL on a project years back and they, they were telling us they prototyped the, the the Mars rover using, you know, Lego Technic pieces, trying to get uh, working on the articulation of the, the chassis. And they even requested uh uh, milled aluminum uh, Lego bricks or, or Technic pieces so they could do more uh, kind of uh, more prototyping on. Uh, there, there was a Braille printer created by a 13-year-old using Lego. And even uh, even there's been some uh, level design in games done with, uh, with Lego bricks. I think it was on Metal Gear Solid. And... And pretty much anything mechanical, you'll you'll find it on, you know, find some video on YouTube. You know, they've even made 3D printers out of Lego bricks. So one of the challenges of being on the forefront of coming up with new ideas uh, at at Lego is that you're probably coming up with, uh, you know, new pieces that need to be manufactured that aren't already part of the system. And that can be a good thing because it can open up doors to new ideas, but it can also create operationalizing problems of, you know, if there's a total of 8,500 Lego bricks that are being manufactured, adding, you know, 10, 20, 200, 2,000, that, that changes the bottom line a lot. Do you guys have to think about operationalizing in, in the creative process at all, or is that something that gets kicked down the road? Yeah, definitely. And uh, we, on many projects, we try not to introduce new elements. We see what can be done with the existing bricks we have. And, but of course, there will be projects that that do need new elements and, you know, that, that can drive up the cost of manufacturing considerably. So when they are injected, you know, we will that will have to be addressed in, you know, kind of business factors. So 
I mean, many of our projects, we we try to innovate without without retooling. So so there's there's already so much that can be created with the bricks we have. But, you know, occasionally we will need new elements and, you know, we, we can hack stuff together. You know, we're on a robotics project a while back where we were doing a, a lot of 3D printing of new elements. But, you know, I, I think that probably hurt the, the business case of the, that concept. So I read a, a little interview with you in a Cora Flot article. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but you mentioned using a mixture of design thinking and, and lean startup processes in your work. Is that something you could chat about um, a little bit more? Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, design thinking is great to get that that human centered perspective, especially knowing that we aren't the users. So, you know, th- that process helps. You know. Uh, it gives us time to to research uh, the users and e- even kind of industry trends and technological advancements. Uh, so th- th- that will get us in the mindset of the kind of the, the the user experience and and it's great for early stages where later development we kind of move towards more of a lean startup approach where we do fast cycles, you know to get maximum learning for kind of minimum viable products. So you know, b- both center on this cycle of prototype testing and learning. So I think the advantages in design thinking, it puts you in the, the human-centered context where the lean startup maximizes efficiencies and, you know, you know, to be testing these minimal viable products and testing singular ingredients, but it also takes a more scientific approach as well, where you're analyzing hypotheses rather than just just finding higher level insights. And Lego's pretty pretty unique in that it's a privately owned company, and there just aren't too many privately owned companies that are at the scale that you guys are. I wonder if you could talk about how being in a privately owned company where you you may have more freedom than if you had investors that you were beholden to, how does that affect innovation or just the the culture at the the company? Uh, yeah, I guess Lego is family owned, and you know it's also set you know it's also headquartered in Denmark, and they have their own set of values, and. Uh, so it, it, it's a it's a great place to work. It has built an amazing culture that you know you know it expects and delivers high quality output. Uh, the the motto is only the best is good enough. But it, you know it also realizes that you know that you have a, a life outside of work and so I, I don't know I I can't compare it to kind of a publicly owned corporate culture because I haven't been in that space, but it's definitely bred a culture where, you know, the, you know, the, the people are first and everyone is motivated to deliver a great product. And, you know, we, we, we do offer a great product that many of us employees love as well. And we believe in, so it's, it's yeah, it's just 
a, a great culture to be a part of. So I think it's really, it's amazing that Lego bricks built in 1955 still work with bricks built today. I'm, I'm curious, how does is that continuity, you know, affect the desire for Lego to remain relevant in any way? Does it restrict you or, or do the constraints actually help in some way? Uh, it, it is definitely a system in play, but it's very open in the possibilities. Like there's been over 500 billion Lego bricks produced over the last, you know, several decades. And every one will interconnect with ones, you know, the, the very first bricks out of production. So, you know, when your Lego set eventually falls apart after playing with it, it goes into the kid's bucket of bricks and it ignites their creativity. So from, you know, what could be seen as a broken toy now becomes infinite possibilities. Dan Winger. Senior Concept Designer at LEGO Future Lab. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. 